Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, my lovely Betwixters. It is I, Kate Lister. I am here once more with your fair dues warning. Why do we persist in doing this? Well, it is because... We want to just make sure that you are safe and okay and not triggered and in a safe space and just basically that you are okay and tucked up in bed and that we can look after you. This is a warning about the content of this podcast because it is an adult podcast spoken by adults to other adults in an adulty way about adulty things and you should be an adult too. You know, actually, today we are talking about the trans trailblazer April Ashley and we will be covering things from... Ooh, uh, surgeries, definitely. There'll be uh, swearing involved a lot as well. Some sexual content. And just, well, God, you know the drill by now. And if you're not ready for it, then just scroll on. But if you are, let's do this. Here's a question for you, Betwixters. If you could go back in time for a night out in any time period at all, where would it be? When would it be? I mean, 1950s Paris would have to be up there, surely, right? It, it just would. Specifically, Le Carousel de Paris, an iconic drag venue where beautiful trans women such as the acclaimed Coccinelle would enthrall the rowdy crowds of the day long into the night. Even Elvis stopped by to see what all the fuss was about. And it's here in this club that one dancer, known then as Tony April, joined the ranks and stole the show. Under the hot lights of the carousel and a long way from the rough streets of Liverpool where they grew up, Tony finally found a place of belonging and quickly became a star. Tony became April and their life, well, what can we even say about it? but it was absolutely one for the history books. Today, betwixt the sheets, we are going to find out about April Ashley's extraordinary life and the odds she overcame as a pioneering trans woman and why it's so important that we hear her story today. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the button. Now! 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 Hello and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. We often explore the lives of gutsy individuals on this podcast, but today's subject has got to take some beating. To see April Ashley accepting her NBE from the Queen in 2012 for services to transgender equality with the same grace and poise as she'd presented her whole life really was nothing short of remarkable. 
There wasn't a hint of the unbelievable poverty and hardships that she'd faced, whether that's growing up as a boy in impoverished post-war Liverpool while coming to terms with being gay or being publicly humiliated in the courts and the national newspapers when her marriage with an aristocrat broke down, cruelly broke down in the 1960s. April's is a very compelling story with many twists and turns that also includes gracing the pages of Vogue, no less. Today, we are joined by author and journalist Charlie Craggs to explore and to celebrate April's life and legacy. But before we get into that, I would like to ask you a little favour, a teensy-witsy little favour, please, lovely Betwixters. If you are enjoying Betwixt, and I hope that you are, I'd really love it if you would just take a couple of minutes and vote for us for the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Awards. If you follow the link in the show notes, you can just give us a click. It'll be over very, very quickly, just a couple of seconds, and it really, really would mean the world to us. We were shortlisted last year and we only just missed out on it. And frankly, it's just made us hungry for more. Please give us a vote if you enjoy what we're up to. Now that is out the way, I am ready to do this if you are. Hello and welcome to Betwixt the Sheets. It's only Charlie Craggs. How are you doing? I'm all right, Kay. How are you, babe? I think I'm a bit better than you because you just said you're trying to move house. Yeah, I wasn't sure how much to say when you asked me that. I'm like, I'm not going to trauma dump on top of our listeners. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to move at the moment and it's horrible as anyone who's moved knows. Isn't it a complete bag of shit? Oh, like you, you think you've really, got a handle on it. I'm so glad it. I can say shit as well. Just, just, I'm, <laughs> you've made me feel so comfortable. It is shit. It's shite. Not just shit, it's shite. It's horrible. The bit that always catches me out is when you remember you've got to pack up the food. As well, like that always, and it's like a massive job. I remember that. So thanks a lot. You've just reminded me of that. You've just ruined my morning. But if there are any hot men with vans listening who want to do my removals for free, there'll be kinks out there. You know, there'll be like it's a submissive thing of people to come around and help clear your house. Oh, I've just got a kink for men in vans. To be honest, I do love a trade. (laughs) I love a tradie. I'm not even joking. Anyway, yeah, anyway. I love that. Oh, right. Okay, we have to talk. <laughs> yeah, talking uh, of tradies. Talking of tradies, there's a nice segue there that a more skilled presenter would get than me. But we are here to talk about April Ashley's life. Now, what is it about this person that has so caught your attention? I mean, trans history is, it's as long as there have been people and it is in the process of being recovered because so much of it has been forgotten yeah but what is it about april that really caught your attention i mean just to jump on what you said as well about being forgotten a lot of it has been deliberately forgotten as well yep. and burned as well yep. like we saw the stuff in nazi germany for me april is so important because she was kind of like the first trans person in a way that i not found out about because that was Nadia on Big Brother when I was uh, about 11. Nadia, I'd almost I know. About God Nadia. bless Nadia. Yeah, I love Nadia so much. Oh. She changed my life, literally. But I literally wouldn't be here now or who I am now if it wasn't for her. Because oh she God. was the first time I had a word for how I felt. But the first like kind of piece of media I consumed around trans stuff was April Ashley's book. It's called April Ashley's Odyssey. It's out of print now, I think. And I got it for like really expensive on eBay. It was like a really old, dusty book. And this is like 2012. 12-ish and this was kind of before the massive tipping point of like Mm. there being kind of trans stuff in the media like now there's too much trans stuff in the media 
there was really nothing. Like we had just had um, Carmen Carrera and Kylie come out on Drag Race. But other than that, like Laverne Cox wasn't even like in Orange is the New Black then, which was like, that felt like the dawn of the new tipping point. So like I found this book about this woman who I'd never heard of on eBay, paid about 50 quid for it, which was a lot of money for like a 20 year old for a book. But um, I was so hungry for it and I'm so glad I did. I still have it now. It's probably worth a lot of money now. It was, yeah, just really important to me because it was the first time like I said, I really like had something to read about a trans person or so like I didn't even have anything to watch back then. But like it helped me see myself. It helped me understand myself. It helped me understand my history and my community's history. Yeah, it was just really pivotal in not just my transition, but my life. Wow, that had a really big impact on you. Yeah, I imagine I was like, no, not really. <laughs> Uh, actually, no, I returned it two days later and got my £50 back. It's shy April. Try harder, April. No, it was so good. Like, I remember reading the book I, when I was going for my, like, laser hair removal, which was, like, so hard and so painful. I don't know if anyone else has had laser hair removal, but especially, like, on areas like your face mm. and downstairs. That I think it's to do with, like, the nerve endings there. Like, it is so painful. It's so I would, like, have panic attacks. And, like, I would read her book on the way there and, like, at the start of my transition. And like, it would just give me, like, strength to know, like, look at what the women who have gone before you have gone through. And they've gone through so much worse. And if they can get through, if Abel can get through everything she bloody got through in her life, which we're going to get to talking about, you can get through a laser hair removal session. Like, laser didn't even exist in the 60s. Do you know what I mean? When, bless her, like, people like April needed it most. I was reminding myself how lucky I am that I can even get laser. And, and like, do you know what I mean? And, like, I'm literally, like, living my truth because of and able to get things like laser and transition because of people like April and the steps they took forward for me to follow behind. So, yeah, it was really, really important for me reading that book at that time. Let's start with the origin story, I suppose. We've got to. For anyone listening going, I don't know who they're talking about. Who was April Ashley? Yeah, so you might have, like, heard of her recently because, really sadly, she passed away. And she really was, like, a pioneer within the trans community because she was kind of, like, the first... One of the first. I'm not going to say the first because everyone has a different first person. But for most people, in kind of living memory, she was, like, the kind of first significant representation of a trans person in the media. And it was not for the best reasons. It was, like, often her being in the media was... It wasn't for good reasons, not by her doing, but as in like a tabloid outed her as being trans. Prior to that, like she was a Vogue model and she was, she even before the Vogue model stuff, she had had an insane life where she grew up in, in immense poverty in Liverpool. She then um, fled her really, like I said, poverty stricken, but also very Catholic upbringing to like go and be her herself. And she went, well, originally she actually joined the Navy, but then she went to become a showgirl in Paris and she had this incredible life as a really celebrated showgirl at the Le Carousel. And then she stumbled into, from that world, into the high society world of being like a Vogue model here in the UK. And then she was outed as being trans and then everything fell to shit everything she'd worked so hard for and she had literally fought tooth and nail for was taken away from her. She lost her marriage even. And like, that's kind of a big part of why we know her as well is because the case she had in the high courts where she was defending her right to be seen as the woman she is and in, within the eyes of the law and within the context of marriage. And then it's just ridiculous that she lost that battle and the repercussions of that onto even trans people today. Do you know what I mean? Like we're still feeling those repercussions and so much has changed, but also so much hasn't changed. And you only have to look at the newspapers today, the same tab 
tabloids today to see that, you know? It's strange. Like, as a historian, you notice that a lot, is that even though you feel debates and things have moved on, there's still so much that is, we're doing the same stuff. Yeah. With so many different areas of life. And when you're dealing with marginalised communities or people fighting for their rights, it is the same debates being had again and again and again and again. Yeah, you only have to look at like abortion. Like, who would have fucking thought the abortion, like the Roe versus Wade? Like, maybe it's just my naivety, but no. I would never, no. ever have predicted that would have happened. I mean, everyone knew America was very conservative, and I guess oh, yeah. you knew that there was a lot of anger about it. But no, I to sort of end up here is just like, oh my god. And I feel like the same tipping point is happening with a lot of marginalized communities, like obviously the trans community, like the LGBT community in general. Before we came on air, we were talking about the drag bands. You think it's a drag queen? Get a grip, right? like grow up, like what? Like, and you just think like things we've taken for granted for so long and within like the last 20 years, I feel like we're seeing like a trickle down effect of these conservative beliefs that are really very much like kind of having leeway and they're running with it and the kind of sensationalism in the media isn't helping. And if you gave that drag queen an AK-47, then suddenly that would be okay for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, whole... yeah, yeah. Oh, right, okay, hang on. Okay, focus, focus. <laughs> yeah, April Ashley, let's go. <laughs> so you can see many interviews with April on YouTube today. <laughs> and when she speaks, she has very clipped upper class accent very kind of like ethereal beauty that if you knew nothing about this person you'd be like well that's clearly a very very posh lady just like me yes just yeah <laughs> that's exactly what i thought it's exactly <laughs> what i thought about you too but to know that she was born in real poverty in liverpool that surprised me a lot to learn that that was part of her history yeah and i think that's what really resonated with me about her as well as because i wasn't obviously born into that immense level of like post-war poverty where they were literally just living in ruins from Mm. the war and you were like scavenging and you know rationed and just a really hard life just for me it was like I grew up on free school meals I grew up on a council estate I grew up being bullied by some boys in school because of how much money my parents earned and stuff and like so that was another part about her that really made me identify with her and like I think it really made me it's just she was so strong and like I said almost with the trans thing of like if she got through this you can get through it like I applied that to other areas of my life too because transitioning as a working class girl is a very different experience to transitioning as Caitlyn Jenner do you know what I mean like Caitlyn can have 10 hours of surgery in one day and turn the party and be done and then throw the whole community under the bus afterwards cheers Caitlyn yeah thanks Caitlyn <laughs> but for me like it was years and years and years of saving for like surgeries I had to have mm. that like like I would want to kill myself if I didn't have not out of vanity, but out of like sanity. <laughs> I've never said that. I usually say out of like safety because it was also safety as well. Like living in a council estate, looking in a rough part of um, London. I'd had glass bottles thrown at me. I'd had like eggs thrown at me, obviously like insults, obviously punches. But like I needed these surgeries to be able to blend in and having that kind of aspect of her identity finding out about that was important to me because I really saw myself in her again and it really did give me the strength. And I think when you're going through something as hard as early transition and you don't have the strength in yourself, you need to pull that strength from other people. That's why I always say when I get DMs from young trans people asking for advice, I'm always like, baby, if you don't have the strength in you now, pull that strength from someone else. Like I pulled it from Nadia, I pulled it from April, I pulled it from people like that. And when you don't have the strength for yourself, you need those role models. It would be nice to think that when April grew up in working class Liverpool, it was like all in together and that there was lots of love yeah. and support. And, you know, they were poor, but rich in love. But that wasn't the case for April no. at all, was it? 
I know that she had a really hard time even with like her parents, like I said, and another part of her identity I relate with is being Catholic as well. And I'm actually very lucky that the total opposite of my mum couldn't be a more accepting, better mum. But like I know April actually had the opposite and like she was badly abused as a child as well as growing up in poverty. Like it was an abusive household and especially like she just very much wasn't accepted for being an effeminate boy, which I think is in part why she did end up going to the Navy to try and like, I keep making this about myself, but I relate to that also. I think a lot of trans people doing that, you try and fight this. And I think even gay people like do it as well, where like you are bullied and persecuted so much by the outside world that you start to hate the things that they bully you about because you're like why am I like this I don't want to fucking be like this I don't want to be effeminate who would want to be like this so you try and make yourself what you're meant to be but often putting yourselves in those situations only highlights even more that you are not the person that you quotation marks should be or want to be like the people that are around you like I can imagine her with her the people in the navy and it only made her just know even more that she was trans that's obviously then why she fled to Paris. I can't imagine the trauma that she must have gone through growing up in a very abusive situation and very rejected and not being able to change or alter the very things about herself that she's being bullied and picked on and abused for and then attempting to go into the Navy, like, this will fix it somehow, like some kind of desperate, this will make it okay and then it's not okay i think it was just a way out for her as well at that point she just needed to get out i can see that actually yeah i think that's what a lot of people do as well and that's even why you think of survival sex work that a lot of trans people have to do it's just a way of getting out and making the money that you need to make and give yourself the safety you need you know what was the navy experience like for april did it help <laughs> I don't think she expected it to be good. Like I said, I think it was more of just a way out, but like it definitely wasn't good. And like I said, it is very much why being around the people you're trying to force yourself to be like only highlights even more that you're not like these people. And then that's why she obviously fled to Paris, but then in turn found the people that she was supposed to be around and found her tribe, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is like she found her people and those people encouraged her to be herself. And then she found other trans people, you know? Yeah, oh my God, can you imagine? That you've been through all of this, this rejection. And of course, like you were saying that there wasn't enough trans debate when you were younger and there wasn't. And like not understanding what's going on with you. Imagine April born in like 1935. Not even the language. There was no no even language. She predates the language for it. I mean, there was obviously trans people existing. Like you said, we can look back at any kind of historical period and there's evidence of trans people existing. But like there definitely wasn't, especially in like working class, poverty-stricken, post-war Liverpool, especially in a Catholic household. I didn't even have the language for that growing up on my estate. And like I said, my mum is the most accepting mum in the world, but like she didn't even know what trans was. She didn't understand. That was like 90s Labrack Grove, do you know what I mean? I just think like everything I felt throughout my transition must have been like times 100 for April because of the context she was living in. It's like mind-blowing for me. So I can't even imagine how mind-blowing it was for April, you know, to have found people like her and found a word for herself and finally found her place in this world as well and, and other people like her yeah, going through the yeah. same thing mad and especially at that time as well because spoiler alert like she was one of the kind of first people to ever undergo like reassignment surgery and like to me that's how much she was at the kind of forefront of this what we were just talking about of that like, they're just not being words for things there wasn't surgeries for things at this point either do you know what I mean like I just can't I really can't I'm not even going to disrespect her by trying to find the words for it but like it's just insane because I like I said know that feeling just from my life growing up when I did and it was insane enough so I can't even imagine 
how insane it would have been to have been one of the first, you know? I know. So she gets to Paris and then he's working as a showgirl, which is something that everyone should have said about their lives at some point, I think, of just, yeah. like, you know, they got to Paris and then they made it as a showgirl and then, then they Honestly, went Honestly, the dream. That's the dream, right? But because obviously Paris has historically always been a lot more cosmopolitan. I mean, you know, it's had its issues, but... Even like before the First World War, definitely after the Second World War and then kind of leading up to it, it did have a much more bohemian atmosphere where they did have, I can't even think what they would call it now, but I suppose cross-dressing shows is what they would have been termed at the time. Drag queen is what we'd call now, right? Yeah, she like found her way into the upper echelon of society who were like, she was very much celebrated for Mm. everything that she was persecuted for back here in the UK where she grew up in these spaces celebrities like I think I even remember her saying that Elvis came to the shows and Elvis hit on her once but didn't actually realize that she was trans then very politely was like I'll buy you a drink but I'm not interested sort of thing but you know she had all this baby she's very much hinted that she got hers like she had a good time and she was just very much like mingling with the creme de la creme and like she was celebrated it wasn't like a CD like a it was like look at these incredible Incredible women and people come over from all over the world to like watch them perform on stage and do the showgirl routines and stuff and um her like kind of co-stars were pretty much all of uh, trans women for lack of a better language obviously back then the terms were there wasn't like the terminology we have today but in today's kind of context they would have been seen as trans women and a lot of them did undergo surgeries a lot of them aren't even like amanda lear used to perform there i don't even know if now she even <laughs> this is a long running thing so i'm not outing her or anything but like in april ashley's autobiography she very much names amanda lear as the trans girl amanda lear and like but she was a pop star in the 70s who just wasn't out which was obviously like a statement of the times but like there was other people like her like having surgeries and also just living stealthily as well where you like would just try and integrate into society and that's very much what April and actually just like into the wider context of today what most trans people want to do like most kind of binary trans people want to do is just to live a normal life we just want to blend in we just people in the media act like we're this big nuisance and we're a threat but also like trying to change the fabric of society and make everyone stop using gendered language and you know make everything different and it's like no I'd really just like to like get married and move to the suburbs and live a quiet life can you just leave us alone that's literally all we want is to be left alone that's it I want to live a boring life (laughs) In the suburbs with my husband. Thank you very much. That I don't have yet. So if there's any hot guys listening, DM me. But point being, that's very much what April wanted for herself. She wanted to live. And in that context of where she grew up, like it was a miracle that she still was alive. She had stardom thrust upon her in the way that she was then mingling in the right crowds and that she kind of found her way into, like I said, the modeling kind of scene where she was being shot by massive photographers. And then she was shot for Vogue eventually, like I said. And she was an it girl on the scene. And then that's how she found obviously the guy she married I don't know if that was intentional to be honest like I'm sure she loved it but like I think really she just wanted to be herself but I think it all happened how it was meant to because like I said we wouldn't be and when I say we I mean me and every other trans person we wouldn't be in as lucky as we are today like living with the privilege we do live with standing on the shoulders of people like Ashley back with Charlie and April after this short break. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is After Dark. Myths, misdeeds and the paranormal. The podcast that takes you to the shadiest corners of the past, unpicking history's spookiest, strangest and most sinister stories. I'm Maddie Pelling. And I'm Anthony Delaney. Join us every Monday and Thursday and we'll take a look at the darker side of history from haunted pubs to Houdini to witch trials and arsenic-laced breakfasts. Follow After Dark, Myths, Misdeeds and the Paranormal wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit. I'm James Patton Rogers, a war historian, advisor to the UN and NATO, and host of the Warfare Podcast from History Hit. Join me twice a week, every week, as we look at the conflicts that have defined our past and the ones shaping our future. We talk to award-winning journalists. ISIS, this peculiar strain that we all came to know very well in the mid-2010s, really got its start because of the US invasion of Iraq. We hear from the people who were actually there. The Sudanese have been incredible. They have managed to get supplies to people, to individuals who are suffering. And we learn from the remarkable historians shining a light on forgotten histories. For the most part, the millions of people who were taken to those camps were immediately murdered. Auschwitz combined the functions of death camp and concentration camp and slave labor. Join us on the Warfare Podcast from History hits twice a week, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about the surgeries that April had. And it's really important that we contextualise this as gender reassignment surgery was so in its infancy. It was just getting going in Germany just before the Second World War, and then the Nazis came to power, and then the Hertzfeld Magnus offices, they burnt everything. They burnt all of the research, they burnt all of the case studies, and they really set back trans surgery and scientific research in this area for decades. And it was just starting to get back going again when April went for the surgery. I just want to like really emphasise that, because to say that this was experimental and dangerous is an understatement, really. Yes, I mean, even in this day and age, there's an element of that where I went for my consultation and they're like, this might go wrong. Mm. This is in London in 2020s. But April, like you said, she, she I think she was the ninth mm. surgery that this doctor had done Nine. in Casablanca. So she, this girl from fucking working class Liverpool had gone all the way to Casablanca to see a doctor who hardly spoke English, who she had to, had to trust that he understood what he was doing. And like he, by word of mouth, she'd heard he was good and was one of the only doctors who were doing it as well. Because you got to think about it, the fact that like this wasn't a widely accepted yeah. thing. Like people obviously weren't that accepting of trans people back then. So like he was one of the few, maybe even the only one, I don't actually know, but one of the only ones in the world who'd be doing it. Mm. Hence why he'd only done nine. And hence why the girls would come all the way to him in Casablanca. And I remember like, reading the book and him essentially being like you could die from this and she's like well I don't want to live if if I can't have it I don't want to live and I 
again, not to make this about myself, but like, I remember that feeling with mm. many other my surgeries as well. Like even the simplest things of like facial surgeries I had where like, I had such a manly face before. And it was the reason I would literally get abuse all day, every day in the street, because I look very much clearly like I'm, I have a man face. So I remember my doctor telling me the complication. My friends were like, are you scared? You're going to have your six hours of surgery on your face. And I'm like, I don't want to live if I can't have it. So I can very much relate with what April said. And I think especially within the context of that time as well, there was no other choice for her. There was no freedom of expression in that you can exist within the lines of man and female and be non-binary or be androgynous or be a gay man even. You couldn't even be a fucking gay man back then. So like, I can totally relate. And thank God the surgery was a success and that she did wake up because, yeah, thank God. (laughs) The risks of it and the dangers involved. And I've seen an interview with April where she says very eloquently in that very clipped voice, and she's just, well, I would die if I didn't have it. And that that really hit home to me of like, my God, like this isn't a choice, actually, that she feels she has to do this. I really feel like that really resonates with this whole debate in the media right now as well. And especially when we're, there's so, so, so much talk about, because it's all really rooted back in this with the kind of conservative idea and the very much Christian idea or religious idea of protect women and kids. kids. and, And it's very much like, we shouldn't be letting kids have these surgeries because what if they change their mind and and it's like they're claiming to care for trans kids and not letting them make these big decisions and when we say kids I'm talking about 18 year olds because you have to be 18 Mm -hmm. to have surgery in the UK and 18 year olds can join the army they can get married they can do all these other things but god forbid they seek some help to stop themselves feeling suicidal because this is how trans teenagers are feeling I was that person we're feeling suicidal we don't want to be here and saying you're trying to protect us but like what's worse a trans child or a dead child because that is Mm -hmm. what you're going to have if you ban trans affirming healthcare for 18 year olds like I said everyone is competent enough to make their decisions at 18 apparently trans people aren't but if you ban that you don't care for them because they're going to be dead and it's very much the same thing with April in that like it's this or it's death there's also footage of April talking about when she woke up from the surgery. And let's not pretend that it was a walk in the park, that it was like, a, oh, now I'm healed, hurrah, yeah. and off you go. It was painful, and I think I read that her hair fell out and that there was complications. But she said that the feeling of joy and happiness, that she said there is nothing like it. She'd never experienced a joy like that to wake up from the surgery and to know that it had been a success. And then she enters, again, what she refers to as the happiest period in her life in some interviews where she's modelling. She's modelling successfully. She's in London. It's not known that she's trans. She just looks like a very extraordinarily feminine and very elegant and very the clipped voice. And she's described that as the happiest period in her life. Which I think is testament to what I said about how we just want to have a normal life and blend in. Like the happiest point in her life wasn't a statement. It was a point where she just existed and no one even knew she was trans and she could just get on with her life. And that is literally what trans people today still want. We just want to get on with our lives quietly. We don't want to change our lives. And bear in mind, she was a girl at this point. She was so young, had hustled, hustled, hustled hard to get to the point where she can save up all that money for surgery. And now like she was living the dream. Who would have thought this girl from that background would now Mm. be in the pages of Vogue, you know? Yeah. That would be monumental today for a working class person to do that. But back then with the background April came from, it was even more magnificent and more of like a incredible feat you know and it would be lovely if we could tell the story and just say and that was it and then the end that was it april made it as a model and then she retired and had some cats and it was fine that happy period doesn't last what 
happened to April. The British press happened, which is what is happening today. <laughs> she was outed and then like she was kind of blacklisted seen as like a freak why would people want to work with like a trans person you know it was like we were saying it wasn't something that was talked about so people had no understanding of this and obviously the terminology used wasn't that like oh she's trans it was oh she's a man and this man is wearing underwear in vogue do you know what i mean and like this man has married another man and god forbid and it's like well first of all bitch the man fucking knew thank you very much who was the man we've got to preface this because april had managed to get married arthur corbett i think it is corbett and she married well he's a cunt with money yeah i mean yeah she knew what she was doing but also like i think she actually did like from reading the autobiography like she did love him as well like she didn't just marry him for his money because she could have had elvis like she could have had anyone for their money obviously she's like a working class girl who knew that she had to like be live a safe life she couldn't just go back and be like oh i'm just gonna go move back in with my abusive mother on my bomb shelter house back in liverpool As like a trans woman, she didn't have that choice. But like, so obviously she knew she would have had to stay in this lifestyle, but like she could have done it with anyone. She didn't have to do with Arthur, but Arthur very much pursued her. Obviously, like he knew, but obviously he claimed to not know. Just like drawing parallels between today, that's the defense that so many men use, especially when they kill us as well, not to be dark and depressing, but like the defense they use is the trans panic, the gay panic, which is still legal in a lot of states in America, which is terrifying where you just be like I didn't know and they were trans so I killed them and it's like okay you get a free pass and it was very much that of this guy apparently just didn't know you know I'm sure he thinks that all vaginas look like that with scars along the side do you mean like you just it's like come on full title Arthur Corbett later on the third Baron Rowallan Stupid name. Eaton educated son oh, of and heir of Lord Rowallan. Who... Yeah, I think they should revise the science lessons in um, Eaton because apparently they're not very There's good. There's never been pussy in Eaton. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. Oh my God, I adore you. You're my new favorite person for that. We need whoever's listening, make merch of that immediately. But yeah, very much, very much. So they got married. Like they were properly Oh yeah, they were living a blissful marriage as well. Like they were very much happy. Like I said, he was very much the one who pursued her. She wasn't the one like chasing him and trying to fool him. Like he knew what was up. He knew her history. He knew where she'd worked and stuff. And Mm. that's why he liked her as well. Do you know what I mean? Like that he was besotted by her as anyone with a fucking eyes would be, you know, like again, parallel to today, like, you just think a pretty woman is a pretty woman. Does it matter if her chromosomes are a bit different? Unless obviously you're you're wanting to have kids, but like, what the hell? Yeah, weirdo anyway. Bloody weird. And a nasty weirdo yeah, as well, nas- we should add. Really nasty. Because when he wanted to separate, he didn't just go down the divorce yeah. line. He demanded an annulment on yes. the grounds that April, and she used the language at the time, was a man. That's what happened. Can you imagine the blow of that? Not only being like your life literally falling to pieces that you've, you've got no family, you've lost a career, you've like lost everything you've built from nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean like not even fucking two pennies to rub together from the background you're from. You've lost it all. And now you've lost your marriage with the person you love. But not only have you lost the person you love, they've turned around and just to like save face so that they don't feel embarrassed in front of their peers and in front of the public. Because it was very much like played out in the public eye. Has turned around and said, yeah, you're a man. Like, not just like, I want to divorce from you, but like, I'm going to really stick the knife in. And after you've gone through this life-threatening surgery where you could have almost died, you went all the way to Casablanca with the money you'd worked so hard to make as a working class person, just to be told you're still a man. And then essentially be told that 
by the fucking high court as well. How she didn't combust on the spot after everything she's been through in her life, I will never ever know. Cause like the disrespect, not even, it's like the biggest slap in the face you could ever give someone. And it's not like they were together, you know, like a bit of a fling. They met in 1960 and then this annulment was finally granted in 1970. So that's 10 years that she's invested in this person that she's married to. And then they drag it through the courts. And it's not just a case of like dragging it before, like, you know, Judge Judy and then Judge Judy's a bit of a bitch. Like April is subjected to medical examinations it's brutal it is absolutely awful i think something like 10 doctors had to medically examine her vagina and you just think like fucking hell like jesus christ and then to be told after all that like no you're a man (laughs) publicly like Mm. it's like being put in the stocks and having tomatoes thrown at you for the whole of the Not just the UK either, because obviously this was like sensational news, like, and it was very much like upper class. So this would have spread definitely across at least to America, but even in Europe and stuff like you were like made a mockery of in front of the whole world. Mm. You just, like I said, I just don't know how she didn't combust. It's so brutal, the humiliation of it, like newspapers writing about her genitals and about this and about that. And this, and you can read what the judge actually said, and it's awful. Oh, it's God. really, really ugly. It's that just... Omrod guy, whatever his name is, yep, Judge Omrod. Him. And yeah. I remember like, I did a documentary when she passed, like Channel 4 did a documentary, and they asked me to be like a talking head on it. And they like played the reenactment, obviously, because they didn't have audio back then, of the judge's full statement. And just please watch it just for my eye roll because like the eye roll I gave, I've never given such a hard eye roll in my life. It's so disrespectful to April. It was like, you're a man and you deceived us. It was just like, what the fuck? You just think there's just such a lack of compassion as well. You know, no compassion. He resorted to saying that like marriage should only exist between a man yeah. and a woman. And it's only for heterosexuals and it's only about basically making babies. And yeah. it was just so... It was just ugly. There's no other word for it. It was ugly. Obviously, I don't think the outcome should have been what it was. But even if they were going to give the outcome of an annulment like an or a divorce or whatever, it could have been handled so differently that like she wasn't dragged in public and then had tomatoes thrown at her. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine. What happens to April after this? So this is 1970. The swinging 60s haven't swung all that far. And there's still stigma and I think homosexuality hasn't been long decriminalised. Yeah. She ended up in Wales eventually. I'm sure that I read that. Was it in Hay as well? She, I think in the end yes. then she ended up in Hay. And she got married again. Yes. Which is kind of like a nice, and I don't know if that was a happy marriage, but in 1986 she married Jeffrey West and moved to San Diego. And then that divorced, but she had a sort of trajectory that a lot of queer people and people from marginalised communities have, which is that attitudes change And then suddenly they're kind of welcomed back. And it's really shit that it took that long, but at least it happened in her lifetime because when she came back to the UK, she was allowed to change her birth certificate and be recognised as a woman. I mean, she didn't just get a birth certificate as well. She got a bloody MBE. I remember the picture of her with holding the little medal thing. And you just think the vindication that must have given her to be acknowledged that like, we did you wrong and we're sorry. Like that was something special. 
And at least that happened in her lifetime because with too many people from queer history is like we're recovering the history. Going, there was this amazing person. They're incredible. They're a trailblazer. What happened to them? Oh, they died in poverty. Yeah. It was awful. And they never got their flowers in their lifetime. But towards the end of April's life, she definitely, definitely got her flowers. Because I remember like, especially once this trans tipping point happened within early 2010s, she was very much brought back into the public consciousness and the conversation. And Paris Lees, I remember doing stuff with her. Obviously I did like, and bringing her, making sure that people knew about her because it's really important kind of we said at the start of this we keep our own histories alive because mainstream isn't trying to and often they're trying to eradicate our history if anything especially when they've done wrongdoing towards us they don't want us to remember that they called april ashley our queen a man do you know what i mean and like shamed her like that so like she was very much redeemed in the public eye and that she got her birth certificate got her honor and even then she was like kind of celebrated as this kind of pioneer especially within our own community like the lgbtq plus community like she is very much seen as the mother modern day over here like in the, the states they have like marsha p johnson obviously and silva rivera and obviously the wave the ripples they made are felt here and they're very much mother as well but like April Ashley was very much like I said kind of like the first modern day kind of British specifically British figurehead we had here that was pivotal in us getting our rights and in us in the in our history in our modern history yeah so she's very much celebrated by our queer community and like I was actually supposed to it was really sad actually I was I'm really gutted because I never got to meet her I was just gonna ask you if you met her uh, I was just gonna ask shit. that it's so shit because I like with my influence and stuff I was asked to do like Skittles pride campaign a couple years ago basically they were pairing up young activists from like an elegy a B and a T and with like an older kind of figurehead from that same like so I would have been paired with a trans figurehead and I was going to be paired with April Ashley and have a chat and I was like oh my god and she basically pulled out and I was really upset to hear obviously they said it's she's a bit ill at the moment and I was like oh fucking hell I went with someone else but she yeah she never did it and then a few months later she died and it was like I'm so glad that I never got to meet her, but like, it's my honor to do things like this and like the Channel 4 documentary and just every chance I get to keep her legacy alive. What would you want it to have said to her if you had got the chance? I mean, like if you, if you were going to go out for a pint with April? I would have said, why are you putting on that stupid accent, my darling? You're, you're riffraff, <laughs> my darling. All, Stop thinking you're better than that. No, I'm joking. No, no. <laughs> she wouldn't even laugh at that if, I said, if she heard me say that. I'm going to get cursed today by her ghost. But no, I would just say... It's the same if I ever met Lady Gaga. I just wouldn't have words. I would just say, I'd go up to you and them and I'd be like, I have so much to say that I have nothing to say. So I'm going to say nothing to you. I just would give a look and I would just be like, I have no words. Because there are no words. Like I said earlier, I'm not going to disrespect her by like, thank you for fucking throwing your life down on the line for us. And like, thank you for all you did for our community. And there's no words. So there are just no words. I would just give her a look. Just like the biggest thank you from the bottom of my soul. Like the biggest thank you I've ever given anyone, maybe. Charlie, you have been amazing to talk to about You're this amazing woman. to talk to about this. You're such a good host <laughs> and you're very pretty as well. No, I've been admiring your freckles the whole way through. I'm loving them. But honestly, thank you so much for doing this and thank you for having me on. But also just thank you for keeping April's memory alive. It's so important. It's so, so, it's so my important. Pleasure. If people want to know more about you and the work that you're doing, where can they find you? They can find me on Bumble, Tinder, <laughs> Hinge. No, they can find me on any social media at Charlie underscore Crags. But don't look up me. Look up April Ashley or like a pride icon that needs remembering that often isn't remembered. Charlie, thank you so much for talking to me today. You've been an absolute treat. You have too, Kate. Thank you so, so much for having me. 
thank you for listening and thank you so much to Charlie for joining me. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you want us to explore a subject or if you just want to say hello, and actually we really do like reading the emails where you just say hello, you can now email us at betwixt at historyhit.com. We have got episodes on everything from Victorian baby farming to Mozart sex life all coming your way. This podcast was produced by Stuart Beckwith and edited by Tom DeLaghi. The senior producer was Charlotte Long. Join me again Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast contains music from Epidemic Sound. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.